Oh my goodness, I am so excited. Um, I forgot to check what number of podcasts this is, but this is Rachel with The Good Girl's Guide, and I am uber excited about the podcast topic that we have today and my special guest. Um, I'm even more excited to say that she reached out to me, which is um, is exactly what I'm looking to do. So uh, let's let's get into this right here, and we'll talk a little bit about some special topics today. So um, we're going to talk about pelvic floor therapy and uh, the information regarding around women's health and lack thereof and things to know about that. So if you don't mind, give them a nice little introduction, my dear. Okay. My name is uh, Dr. Austin McCallery. I'm a physical therapist that specializes in pelvic health and women's health um, rehabilitation for the musculoskeletal system. Um, so I finished my PT program, which is roughly three years after an undergrad degree, and I did that in uh, Utah. After that, um, throughout PT school, I knew that pelvic health was the direction I wanted to go into. And so I looked for a residency program, which is a, an extra year of additional training just for pelvic health. So it's over 2,000 hours of mentorship and education um, to provide me the skills needed to treat women. Because in PT school, we roughly get maybe eight hours, if we're lucky, of pelvic health information mm-hmm. and education. So so PT would be physical therapy, right? Yes, so sorry, that's what, yes. that's okay. But that's what you decided. You knew you were going to get your doctorate mm-hmm. to do physical therapy and then how soon did you know that pelvic pelvic health was where you wanted to go probably within my first semester so really? yeah so what drew you to it um I've always been comfortable talking with my friends um who have problems and I didn't have the information but I was always there to listen to them um they always felt comfortable reaching out to me so I'd you know support them when they went to visits kind of call gynecological visits and things like that or you know if they just had weird things that they wanted to talk to somebody about mm-hmm. they always reached out to me so yeah it was just a natural fit yeah 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 when I found out physical therapy um actually could treat urinary incontinence embarrassing things that women don't like to talk about or men don't like to talk about um I knew that that was right where I wanted to go yeah that's awesome. So as you had mentioned, there you get a roughly eight hours of that specific standard subject in that PT training. In comparison, like what's the thing that you get the most hours and exposure to in that therapy or that training? So probably orthopedic conditions. So you think your knees, your backs, you know, um, hips, and then neurologic conditions. So post-stroke, things like that. Yeah, so, so that's majority of the market. Yes. And then is there any other categories I mean there's nine specialties within physical therapy Mm -hmm. so they have aquatics they have oncological which is newer they have um, cardiovascular uh, just to name a few so cardiovascular PT interesting Mm -hmm. so um, and then comparatively which one do you have the least amount of training in for me I would feel least comfortable treating the cardiovascular you know uh, patient population so I'm sorry let me rephrase um, because you're saying like you get about roughly eight hours oh, yes. for that. So in comparative, comparatively in training hours, like, is that the smallest or oh, yeah. mediocre? Is it? Pelvic is it the lowest? would be the lowest. Yeah. The lowest, like quote unquote, officially. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like that is a combination of things or a specific reason? Um, I honestly, because I think it is so specialized, I don't think there's enough time in your three year program. If you want to specialize at that level, um, and there's a lot of um, invasiveness to it. So you're doing internal exams on each other. 
And I don't know, even within the physical therapy world, my coworkers are learning a lot from me because they don't really know anything about it. Yeah. Like I'm teaching them something new every day about the pelvic floor and pelvic health. Good. Yeah. I was just wondering if we, it's partially, like what I just recently learned, um, which I think would be no surprise to anybody is that women's health is such an underutilized topic because when bodies became like the focal point in science it was spearheaded by men and so they kind of just poked and prodded instead of asking questions and made these assumptions instead of getting the true information and women's or women's bodies are if i had to opinionatedly say (laughs) are much more complex than men's in terms of individuality in if like reproductive systems and the effect of stress and things like that that's my opinion but we're all like beautiful little clocks that take cleaning and education and things like that so so you had said um you decided you were going to go into the specialty and you had quite a amount of exposure to hours this time around right yes for that fellowship you said um residency residency okay all right perfect so where are you now in your career so I just started a program um, at CHI at Bergen Mercy, but um, I'm actually uh, studying for my board certification in women's health. Mm-hmm. So that's a seven-hour test, 200 questions, and the residency kind of prepared me for that. So yeah. A lot yeah. of studying right now on my own time. Good. And the field was helpful. Women's health. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are some things that your specialty would be looking for in terms of clientele I would suppose you'd say right yeah so the patient populations um, we treat men women and children so the pediatric population too so if you think about incontinence bowel or bladder um, pelvic pain um, constipation uh, we can treat uh, effects of endometriosis the female athlete um, lymphedema um, osteoporosis um, pelvic organ prolapse which is just um, could be weakness of the pelvic floor, um, pre and post prostatectomy and mastectomy, um, education and treatment, and then uh, pregnancy, postpartum, and sexual dysfunction. Those are the big ones. Yeah, those are the big ones. So you say pelvic pain, and I would assume that's just a myriad of different anythings. Correct. Yeah. So lower abdomen, sexual pain, uh, pain with exercise, pressure. So um, with sexual pain, also probably a myriad of different things right Correct. so um what does it take usually for a woman to either be referred to pelvic health in that regard or to herself say this, this, i don't know if this is quote unquote normal or what that pain level would need to be feel like in terms of discomfort to actual like you know level 10 who needs to come see you when is what i'm asking okay <laughs> so if we're just talking about the sexual dysfunction yes. pain yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, side of things you know, pain, you know, sex shouldn't be painful. So if, you know, you're having pain, let's say you had a tear after a pregnancy, um, a vaginal tear, and it's still painful after the scar has been healed, you know, that might be something you want to come and see me for, or initial penetration. Some women can't even be have insertion at all, and that's uh, really where the pelvic floor muscles tighten. Um, so we can address that as well. Uh, deep penetration uh, can be painful for some. So those are some big ones. Even hip pain during intercourse mm-hmm. we can treat. So Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, sweet. So we've got a whole 
whole collection of who could come see you, which is basically just, hey, if you just aren't feeling right, go see your doctor, which should be the number one thing. Is this a service you often see is covered under insurance for women? Yes. Um, all of the treatments I listed are covered because um, a lot of these that we've discussed so far are pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's a muscular dysfunction. Your pelvic floor muscles are, are skeletal muscles, just like your bicep and your quadricep. So they function, they should function just like any of these other muscles. So yeah, I mean, it's just physical therapy, but a, an area that nobody talks about. Correct. Yes. And that's something that I try to drive home at my parties, you know, when it's, it's easy to bring up to say, like if you sneeze when you pee, because it's so common that women will giggle about it, but we don't, we've never talked about what it means. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, it's muscle. It is, that's the important thing is like, you talk about those PC muscles, the Kegels, all the same umbrella of terms, yes. Mm -hmm. So that's what I explained to them. You walk into a gym, you can't pick up a 50 pound weight. It's the exact same philosophy. And whether you've had children or not, it can atrophy and you could still see these things, which is very normal. So um, with Kegels, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, if you were doing your Kegels, that would be like an exposure of lifting a two pound weight at the gym every day, every day, every day. So it's okay for potential maintenance, but uh, like things like Benoit balls, vaginal trainers and things like that, that have a little added weight. Is that a truthful option for women to try to increase the strength of those muscles on their yeah. own? So, you know, we're not only looking at strengthening muscles, so you can have atrophy or weakness depending on the severity of the pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm. You can have coordination issues. So you might not be contracting correctly with increased abdominal pressure. So if you think about a sneeze or a cough or lifting, that's abdominal pressure and your pelvic floor just might not be reacting in time. Gotcha. You could actually have tight pelvic floor muscles or hyper um, tonic pelvic muscles. And so those muscles are actually shortened and they're not giving the best contraction possible. So kind of depending on an internal examination, you don't want to give Kegels to somebody that actually has maybe a high and tight pelvic gotcha. floor. Yeah. So that there would be a very specific terms of maintenance and improvement. Interesting. Good and you can know. progress. So like you can progress with uh, Benoit balls or vaginal weights mm -hmm. um, after you get the basic Kegel down. But just for a fun fact, um, up to 51% of people will do a Kegel incorrectly if given verbal cueing only. Really? So, yes. So what's the, what would be the appropriate way, would you say? So when you're thinking about the pelvic floor, it goes, um, it starts, you know, your pubic bone, so the front of you, and mm -hmm. it goes to your tailbone or your coccyx. So you want um, a squeeze and a lift if you're thinking about it. Mm. So what... Instead of just a tightening. Just, yeah, and yeah. some people only tighten their vagina. Yeah, And you yeah. actually start with your anus and you kind of squeeze your mm. anus to your vagina. Interesting. So, Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even thought that there was different ways, but it's a muscle, right? There's multiple muscles. It's back a group there. of yeah. muscles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Um, that's awesome. Okay, um, I want to talk a little bit more about pelvic pelvic pain around sex because you know I I would say that drive is number one that we talk about in the ordering room and Lubricant? the number well like just drive sorry oh, drive. i'm sorry drive okay. yes yeah. um libido feeling off or whatever but sure. number two is absolutely discomfort pain and while there's a whole mental side to that i think that a lot of women have trauma and things they need to heal from but it's also in, in incredibly normal to have that be related to the physical aspect of the body which everybody's different Everybody's, Everybody's different. different. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get into when yeah. you do an examination, yeah. obviously. Yeah. 
Awesome. So, so I think that women need to know that. It's okay. It's totally okay. There's help. I yeah. mean, I, I'm not alone. So, you know, if there's trauma, I have them see a mental health therapist to deal with that. You know, um, the medical doctor is another part of the team. I mean, we're all a team working together because not always everything I do is going to help. So sometimes you need medication along with therapy and along with mental health. Therapy. Right, right. Because it's all circular right. and connected. Yes. Right. Which is, yes, another thing that I preach, right? You really can't. You can't have success necessarily all the way through or consistently <laughs> without taking care of the whole mind, body, soul. So that's awesome. Good. All right. What's, what's something else you got for us over here? So, you know, if we're going back to um, pelvic pain, so 50 to 80% of women that are pregnant will actually report pelvic and low back pain during their pregnancy. And then um, it can lead to pain after pregnancy as well. So if you think, oh gosh, that's just normal. A lot of these things people... Uh, especially women will say is, oh, it's normal. I was pregnant. I have leakage. Oh, I have a little bit of pain. They're told by society, this is normal. Mm -hmm. Just because it's normal, um, uh, it's not. It's common, right. but it's abnormal. Right. So that's the reference we need to switch our perspective mm -hmm. to. It's common, but not abnormal. Meaning not you normal. don't have to suffer. Yes. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Mm -hmm. And then up to, um, what was it? In the United States, it takes 6.5 years for a woman to seek help for pelvic floor dysfunction. What do you think that draws that statistic? Because they're told it's normal mm -hmm. and they just should deal with it. Yeah, yeah. But they yeah. don't have to deal with it yeah. themselves. Yeah. You think the, the other portion of that, one would be shame around the body mm -hmm. and potentially to the un unawareness of the field? Yeah. and. You know, they don't want to talk about this with their provider always, their physician, and they don't know who to turn to. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think that there is um, a, any reference to, like, when women, especially it, it potentially talking to a male doctor who might not have the experience or perspective, that it's that the doctor is saying that as well, though it's just normal for them to? Or was that what you were referring to in terms of that? I was thinking more social circle in that first portion of yeah, it. Yeah, the social circle. Yeah, yeah. I think physicians are, are becoming more educated about it. I think they're screening a little bit better. There's still work to be done, and I educate physicians all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they know their stuff, but you know, sometimes in an appointment, that's kind of the least thing that they're going to be addressing. Right. So almost patients have to be their own advocate for that and, and let them know that there's a problem. Gotcha. Sweet. Cool. Okay. Um, and if we go back to you know chronic pelvic pain, it affects roughly fifteen percent of women. Which you know chronic pelvic pain is pain lasting longer than six months. So is that reference in like just a generalized or like something like PCOS? Um, that's more of that. Um, so again, PCOS, endometriosis, we're not going to, physical therapists aren't going to be treating the endometriosis or the PCOS, but a lot of the time with pelvic pain, you know, that pain is going to drive muscle tightness, tenderness, trigger points, so we can address the side effects of the actual diagnosis help them down train muscles things yeah like that. so that again be one of those combinations with medical doctor correct awesome sweet correct. okay yeah um just so you know for incontinence one in three women will 15 to 64 years of age will report urinary incontinence so one in three women that's crazy one in three yeah. and does it have an age range 15 to 64 15 mm -hmm. to 64 just because you're over 64, I treat 70-year-olds, I treat 80-year-olds. Yeah. So, I mean, they're still, you know, just because you think you're old, 
that's not again it's not a, it's not a reason normal. to accept it <laughs> yes interesting because they could still be working on tightening those muscles and over time kinds of things yeah it, mm, mm, okay so just if you think symptoms alone urinary incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse which is the bladder the rectum or the uterus kind of coming down into the vaginal canal um so that's again weakness but um so so if you think about all of that you know i can't remember where i was going with that statement uh, that's because there's a chirping baby in the background <laughs> she happened to be distracting um so prolapse uterus is something that we talk about sometimes as well in the ordering room um now when you talk about prolapse in general like you're, you're saying like you, it's really important for women to know their bodies because you know you say that and I think they automatically have this visual of just like this giant water balloon that comes out of their body but it can be it I mean it can be a little bit of prolapse out the body it could be still in the body but things are just shifting and so it's not anything outside the body visibly to see but this is obviously again then why it would be important to get the examination come yeah. in and talk right so yeah. there's different grades of prolapse, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if you're on your feet all day, you might just feel heaviness or pressure. Some people report, report dryness. Um, if you splint, so if you insert your finger internally into your vagina to have a bowel movement, that could be a little bit of a prolapse from the rectum. Mm. Um, you know, the bladder might be coming into the vaginal canal. So, you know, the gynecologist is the one that's going to be um, deciding whether or not you have a prolapse and then we'll work with the gynecologist to strengthen those muscles. Interesting. Sweet. Okay. Um, just kind of as uh, to let you know, if you go to a pelvic health therapist, you again need to do a little bit of your own research. Um, I would recommend if you're seeing someone um, uh, asking if they've had extra training. So coursework, residency is kind of where you go after school or after a few years of practice to get that um increased training but there's also courses that you can take so you can do um, pelvic health one two three and learn the training that way but what you would want to do is make sure they have some type of extra training also are they able to perform an internal examination whether that be vaginal or rectal Mm -hmm. Um, i think that's an important component sometimes you can have someone advertising pelvic health therapy but they'll only do external and Really, to truly assess a lot of the pelvic floor muscles, you need to do an internal vaginal exam. There's special accreditation for internal exam, or is it just a preference? Um, it's not a preference, but it's the training that you have. You wouldn't do an internal exam if you've never been trained to do it. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I'm sorry. Were you saying? No. Okay. So, so then when you go, it's usually 45 minutes to an hour. Um, they're going to let you talk. So they're going to let you tell your story. I mean, that's a huge part of what I do is just letting people tell me what is going on with them. They don't get hurt. Usually a patient gets cut off within the first 14 seconds of an exam or um, going to see a medical professional. So I just, you know, we really let you talk and tell your side of the story, what's going on. And then we'll do um, an orthopedic exam, looking at your hips, your low back. We'll look at the external muscles. So you have over 40 muscles attached to the pelvis. So we're going to look at those because those can contribute to the pelvic floor. It's not just an isolated group of muscles. They all work in coordination together. And then we'll explain what we're going to do to the um, during the internal portion of the exam. So usually it's one glove lubricated finger, whether vaginal or anal. And we're looking at the muscle tone. So is it tight? Is it atrophied or weak? Um, is there trigger points or tight bands of muscle? 
then we're going to look at the sensation. Do you feel things? Um, so are the nerves communicating? And then we're going to have you do Kegels. So we're looking at the quality, um, not only just the strength, but are you able to coordinate it? Are you using your buttocks muscles? Are you using abdominal muscles? Are you actually pushing down? It's called a Valsalva or bearing down instead of lifting up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, we're looking at how long can you hold? So gold standard for a pelvic floor contraction or a Kegel would be 10 second holds, 10 repetitions. Mm, okay. And then, so that's one type of muscles. You have two type of muscles. The second one, can you do 10 quick pelvic floor contractions in 10 seconds? So we're looking at quite a few things. Once we get an assessment, looking at your subjective history, your medical history, we'll give you an exercise prescription plan. So. Cool. I was like in awe as you were just listening all of that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I no, geek out about no, this. No, there's nothing to apologize for. I think it's incredibly important. You know, like I sometimes fight that I'm still trying to explain to women that, you know, your vagina is internal and a labia is what's outside the body. Yeah. And all of this additional information is just it's just the next level up. So I think that it's it's incredibly important and people like you said, they have to advocate for themselves and it's hard when you don't know, but yeah. when you know, you know, then That's you can be be better. Here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm here so that you can be a better, you know, a better advocate. You have more health knowledge about your body, your anatomy. Um, usually during an exam, I'll actually pull out a model so you can see what your muscles look like. Because a lot of people can't even visualize it. Mm-hmm. Um, some can't even do a Kegel because they've never even tried to activate it. Mm. So, you know, the, the functions of your pelvic floor. So you have three layers. The deepest layer is really for support of your organs. So when you're walking around, when you're lifting, when you're exercising. So that deep layer is really support. You know, you think um, gravity. And then um, the secondary layer is the sphincter layer. So controlling that continence, bowel and bladder continence. But not only is it controlling it to keep it in, you also should be able to relax it and release it. So if you think about people that have a hard time initiating a bowel movement or they have to strain or push, even with urination, you have people that have to strain and push or have a hard time starting. And then the third one that we um, talk about is sexual function. So uh, it keeps the blood engorged in the area. For men, it helps with um, erections. For women, it also helps with arousal. So you wanna make sure, especially that's more superficial layer. Mm -hmm. So sometimes Kegels can actually help with sexual arousal. Interesting, it's like to not only increase blood flow, tighten blood flow, is that what you're talking about? And that correlation to that. If you're activating those muscles, it's going to bring more blood into the area. So yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even have thought about that honestly during like arousal process, in- introductory portion of it. Like I talk about that, you know, with during orgasm and being able to flex and tighten, and when they're nice and toned, that partner could feel larger to you, you feel tighter to them. It's a yeah. total win. So how interesting. Not surprising, <laughs> but interesting. Okay, sweet. All right, what's next? So um, just to give you an idea of what you should expect for your bladder health. Um, Some people don't understand this. Um, So really you should be voiding or urinating probably every two to four hours or six to eight times a day. That's considered normal. Mm -hmm. If you're under the age of 65 um, and you're not being woken by a baby or, you know, anything other disturbances, you shouldn't really be urinating more than zero to one time a night. you should be able to urinate it's roughly between 400 and 600 milliliters of fluid Uh, not that you're going to measure that but that's what your bladder capacity should be able to hold 
Um, so mostly like if you're urinating and it's it just feels like tinkle tinkle. Tinkle tinkle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, there's probably a little bit of dysfunction there. Mm. So um, for bowels, you know, you should be so your bowel is part of your pelvic floor too. So when we ask you questions, it's urinary bowel and sexual function again. So there's no real normal for bowel movements. A lot of people will report one to multiple times a day, but um, it could be as normal as three to five times a week is what we're trying to strive for. So constipation can actually cause um, uh, straining and pelvic floor um, prolapse eventually, you know? So you wanna make sure that you're not straining with bowel movements. Um, are you, when you're having a bowel movement, we use the Bristol stool chart. Mm -hmm. So it, the, the best type of stool is really that type four stool, which is like a soft ripe banana when it's coming out. So if you have rabbit little petal, pebbles, you might want to look at fiber options. You know, the American Dietetics Association say, I think it's 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day. And I'm, I'm not giving medical advice. You can find this online, yeah, yeah. but you know, um, Usually, you'll have a bowel urge about 30 minutes after you eat. A lot of people will have that urge after breakfast. So you'll you know, want to have that bowel movement. Um, a lot of people will have that after their breakfast meal. Um, and you shouldn't really have to sit longer than five minutes to have a bowel movement. So you mean like from start to finish or like if you have to sit there to wait to go to the bathroom? So you should be able to have the urge, go in sit for five minutes, have a bowel movement, and leave. Yeah, okay. So if you're sitting longer, if you think about that hammock of the pelvic floor and then the toilet, it's not supporting your pelvic floor muscles. So sitting there on the phone, so if your husband's sitting in the bathroom all the time, <laughs> tell him it's not good for their pelvic floor. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> or yourself. Yeah, well, I've jokingly like, heard that reference, you know, like, because you could technically get hemorrhoids, yes? Yeah, yeah. and pelvic floor strain. Yeah. That pelvic floor yeah. is not supported yeah. on an empty toilet. It so. makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Get it back in the hammock. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, um, you know, just to let you know, some people, it's just a few drops of urine. So that is still urinary incontinence. There's still dysfunction there. Uh, there's two, two main types and then there's mixed. So stress urinary incontinence is again, that coughing, laughing, sneezing, jumping, exercise, lifting, anything like that, where it's increased abdominal pressure. Then you have urge incontinence. And that's really when you get the urge, a high urge that your bladder sending and you have leakage with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have, and then you can have mixed urinary incontinence, which is a combination of both. Yeah. Those are the main ones. Yeah. And you also want to look at frequency. So again, that's six to eight times when you're voiding um, or, you know, your bladder habits. Are you just in case voiding because you might leak? So you want to just kind of look at the health of that. And if you see a therapist, usually they'll be asking you those questions. None of this should be painful, though, like bowel movements, urination, sexual uh, intercourse. None of it should be painful. So for uh, bowel movements, when you're referencing the right banana consistency, mm -hmm. what's usually the first thing that people need to look at if that's not normal for them? So you want to look at your fluid intake. You, said fi you did say fiber. Yep. Right? So you want to look at fiber. Constipation. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you want that good, soft, fluffy stool. So fiber allows water to stay in the stool and it bulks it up. So you want to have a good, your recommended um, dietary fiber. Then you want to look at water. So we suggest that you take half your body weight and then drink that in ounces of water per day. So caffeine can also, you know, it dehydrates you. So you also want to look at your caffeine intake as well. That's so why I was curious if the conversation about diet specifically comes up like what kind of 
crap are you eating, not yeah. just your lack of fiber, right? Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. not dietitians, but we do have training in it, so we can give you the general guidelines and kind of help you. And if it, it if it gets further, then we'll actually refer you to a dietitian to help you manage your, your dietary side of things to help. Makes sense. If you're living on laxatives, that's, you know, that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, how much do you see in correlation to, um, not diet, we just talked about diet, medication and side effects to people with any dysfunction? You know, some, some medications, depending on what they're taking, can lead to constipation. But um, again, if you're addressing the diet side of things, the food side of things, um, that can play a role in improving that. Uh, they might need other medication, stool softeners, but that's more of a discussion with their physician. Um, we don't prescribe medication. Um, and motility is another thing that you need for, for good bowel movement. So exercise. Mm. Exercise will help with bowel movements. A lot of people are resistant to that, but it does keep your bowels. You know, you think about a runner when yeah. they're running and yeah. then they go to, the, you know, they have to have bowel movement. They have to defecate during yeah. the run. I mean, it just helps stimulate the bowels. So what's the correlation there? Like just, just because your blood's moving, moving faster yeah. and you're it breathing keeps, harder. It keeps the bowels moving. Motility is important. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. So I was going to ask about exercise. So do you think that something with core focus in terms of exercise, overall exercise is okay? Or what, what would you recommend to people or suggest? Well, exercise is important for for your body. You, yeah. need, you need to move. You need to be strong. Your muscles support the skeletal system. So, or the, yeah, the skeletal system. So you need to keep moving anyway. But as far as, you know, chronic pain, uh, uh, research has shown that if you introduce exercise slowly and gradually, it can help with uh, managing your chronic pain symptoms. So it decreases your, your tolerance for the pain or decreases the pain that you're experiencing. Uh-huh. Okay. But right. you don't go out and re- walk 30 minutes if you're in chronic pain every day. You start slow, maybe five minutes. Take a water aerobics class. Yeah. yeah something easy. Yeah. Yoga. Yeah. Yoga's great. I prescribe that to a lot of people. Actually. Yeah. Mm, I would highly recommend it as well. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. What else? Um, so, you know, I've been delving into the pregnancy and postpartum population a lot. So um, some people will say, oh, my pelvic floor is fine after cesarean section. But if you think about the weight that your pelvic floor has just had to endure for nine months, that you can't actually get pelvic floor dysfunction, even though you've had a cesarean section. Or if you think about the scar pain along um, the incision, mm-hmm. uh, they'll have maybe tightness or pulling. So we can educate you on scar mobilization and um, support when you're lifting that baby I mean that's huge even if you've not had a vaginal you want uh, vaginal delivery you want to support the pelvic floor when you're lifting especially after after the birth so absolutely um, as I actually recently um there's this there's a gym here locally it's called Victress and it's a female only gym and that was my assumption it was just a female only gym but then I recently went to an event where they shared their story and there one lady who was like um she was a a trainer but she specialized around postpartum and perimenopause post and pre is what it was Mm -hmm. and the woman that she ended up co-founding it with was one of her clients but she had said this thing and like she i had read this quote that said like child giving giving birth is like a marathon so you should probably train for it 
Yeah, and then the statement she made is that women tend to compare themselves as little men. Like, that's what society is, like little men, but it's not. It's com bodies are, the sexes are totally different than there's anything in between, clearly, but women have a different type of strength, and that core strength and that baby maker strength is true. It, and like you were saying, like, she was basically like, if you've never worked on that core strength afterwards, you could pretty much consider yourself like six weeks out. It's still, like, that philosophy, your body has never healed or been able to get nice and strong again and I never really thought about it like that that was that's really powerful so what kind of things would you recommend for women that are looking to strengthen body before childbirth as well you want to make sure that they have good pelvic floor function so the strength and endurance you want to make sure that they have um, so the pelvic floor is one of four core muscles of the body. Mm -hmm. So the diaphragm, so respiration, you're looking at are they using their diaphragm appropriately when they're breathing? So if you think about a baby and how they breathe into their belly and the belly goes up and down, a lot of uh, women, you know, even me included, I, I find myself sucking in my stomach all the time. Yeah. Well, that's not that's So you're not breathing from the belly instead in, of? Well, you want to breathe into the belly, but you're breathing into the chest, chest. Okay. to keep that tummy nice and right. small. Which so, is what they say in yoga too, you gotta breathe from the belly. Yes. Okay, all right. Okay. So that's the first component, you know, one of the components we're looking at for core muscles. We're looking at the pelvic floor, so that's the bottom. Now the front is called the transverse abdominal muscle, so that's your stomach muscle, that's your core muscle. It's not your six pack, your rectus, your obliques, those are your movers. So can you have good coordination with the transverse abdominis? And that's really going to support the bladder, it's going to support, and it pulls into the lumbar spine. And the last of the, the four core muscles is your multifidi muscles. So those surround, they're little muscles that surround the, the lumbar spine and the spine. So you want to make sure you have good coordination and strength with all of that. Um, so that way when you do become pregnant and your body starts changing and the weight um, starts changing, you, you have good support through your um, spine, decreased pelvic pain, decreased lumbar, um, low back pain. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you also want strong glutes. I mean, overall, you just want a good uh, muscular support system before you your body changes. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And, and then, then after. Yeah. So usually we say six weeks before you come and see us. You can come and see us before that, but... Um, you know, vaginal exams are, you know, we won't do an internal vaginal exam most likely until the six-week checkup when you're cleared for intercourse. And, you know, leakage can be a little common in that first six weeks urinary. Your body's, you know, just mm -hmm. pushed out of the baby. It, it's, the pelvic floor has had trauma to it. Yeah. It's a natural part of a woman's life cycle if they choose to have a baby, but it's still traumatizing to those muscles and they have to kind of get back to where they were. So, you know, after the six weeks, if you're still having, you know, either a little bit of urgency or leakage, come and see a pelvic health therapist. We can help you um, isolate those muscles, coordinate them with the transverse abdominis so that you can do functional activity. And we can help you have get an exercise program that's appropriate for you. So, you know, some people want to get right back into their routine, but maybe that's not the most appropriate thing for them because their pelvic floor muscles are still healing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Cool. All right. What else you got for us? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you come to us and we give you that exercise prescription, a lot of the times, six to eight weeks, you know, 45 minute to an hour treatments. And then um, sometimes it takes longer, 10 to 12, depending on the severity of what's going on. Sometimes it's two to three visits just to make sure you're activating those muscles, strengthening. 
and you're good to go. Really, again, it's individualized to the to the patient, but um, we, what we can provide is strength training, coordination training, um, and again, if you're thinking of that hypertonic or tight pelvic floor, we actually teach you how to relax those muscles. So I like to call them like butt grippers. So people that are tightening those muscles all the time. Um, so, tension, anxiety, yeah, yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, or they just don't even know. Or like if they're leaking urine, they're going to want to tighten those muscles, but they still are leaking. They're like, I do my Kegels. I'm like, well, that's, you know, let's try to downtrain those muscles. Um, and through that, we give them exercise, but we also have what's called biofeedback. Mm -hmm. So it's like an EKG for the muscles. It just looks at the muscle activities. Um, there's external probes or external electrodes and internal probes. And it's just reading the muscle activation or the electrical impulse of the muscles. So, and you can get a visual um, feedback. So there's usually a graph showing you what your muscles are doing. So, you know, you have a better awareness of what's going on, not just an internal feel, but a visual um, cueing as well. So we'll provide that. Um, if your muscles are tight and tender and painful, we can provide manual therapy, so internal work. Like if you had a sore neck and you were to see a physical therapist and, and you work on those muscles to lengthen them, get rid of those trigger points or banding. Uh, same thing internally, obviously more gentle than that and what the patient can tolerate, but uh, help decrease that muscle soreness and tightness. Um, we can provide dilators or pelvic wands. Um, especially if there's um, pain with penetration, uh, you can help stretch the introitus or the muscles that way and give you the right prescription or pelvic wands that address the trigger points. Um, we can help with defecation and toileting mechanics. So if you think about the, the squatty potty, mm. I actually prescribe that to people. Maybe not that, but a stool or the right positioning so yeah. that they have better bowel movements. Um, bladder retraining program so help you on a schedule so if you're going every 15 minutes and one guy or one yeah guy treated he was going like 20 times a day so i don't just say drink your water and hold it that's yeah. not gonna work yeah 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 <laughs> and if you're really weak there's um, electric stimulation that we can provide to strengthen those muscles if you really can't get a volitional contraction initially so. interesting yeah, yeah. expedite that process yeah <laughs> um yeah and i guess that's that's a lot of you know what i have to say things that contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction are pregnancies multiple pregnancies um but again non-pregnant women can experience this or um, women that have never had pregnancy fatigue and weakness of the muscles as you age that can increase pelvic floor dysfunction obesity mm. again the extra weight change in body position straining with bowel movements straining with heavy lifting uh, and high impact exercises can all play a role in pelvic floor dysfunction yeah because you had said that you work with athletes as well so what mm -hmm. would that what does that usually entail so um you know, I see anybody that's doing high impact, so jumping things, quick movements, jumping jacks, things like that. Um, is, that really the, is that the gravity because of the increased abdominal pressure? Yeah. yeah. And the impact on the ground. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. sometimes I'll find that they're grasping all the time. So it really, again, just depends on that patient. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. vaginal weights can help with endurance, you know, um, along those lines. Or sometimes we just need to strengthen them in the functional activities that they're doing. So learning to use those muscles when they're leaking. Yeah. So a lot of it's functional. When are you leaking? Why are you leaking? And how can we fix that? Interesting. 
Awesome. Um, <clears throat> do you have any questions for me? Yeah, so I wanted to talk um, quite a, well, as much as we can, we'll see. Um, how important is sex in maintenance or use and things like that with, with the public health? So um, intercourse is, is important, not only for your own health, you know, but also your relationship and intimacy level there. But if, if intercourse is bringing on pain and depending on what it is, we actually may um, ask the patients not have intercourse until we can kind of address those because if, if it's painful, your body kind of reacts to that, tightening those muscles. And if we're working on relaxing those muscles or change, you know, changing the tone of those muscles, but you're having intercourse, we may actually ask you not to. But again, patient dependent. Yeah. But um, you know, one of the goals, if you want to get back to having intercourse with your partner, definitely we'll address it there. Gotcha. What's um, the age range average that you see for women coming in to see you? I mean, I treat girls aged five, six for urinary incontinence or constipation, which play a role with each other, actually, um, to women in their 70s and 80s. I was treating a woman the other day in her 80s, so. So would you say, like, when you're seeing children, is there a suggested, I don't know, like, standard that for potty training then that you can help your children try to avoid some of those things so in their early years yeah nocturnal enuresis which is you know bedwetting things like that um ideally i'd like to see them over the age of five or six so they have a little control um of their own exercises and things like that there's no internal exams with children just so, so you know that we use the external electrodes with biofeedback um for that parents always in the room um but yeah, I would say, you know, five or six, so they have some awareness. Um, but yeah, if they're having trouble with potty training and they're at that five to six age or they're leaking during school, a lot of it's bladder retraining, fluid intake, again, some of those same things. So is there something like in the initial stages of potty training that would help set that message better? Um, I don't... Just, just try. Just do your best. Just do, just do your, your best. best. <laughs> there's, Parents there's have nothing it hard. That you, there's nothing that you found that works more. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, it's probably hard you to can, do as well. You can cue them to go to the bathroom, you know, make sure that they're not ignoring the urge to urinate or to defecate. You can kind of see when they're playing. Mm -hmm. Like, are they doing the squirmy dance? Like, maybe just give them a gentle reminder to, hey, listen to your bladder. Does your bladder have to go? Yeah. 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 Go to the potty. Yeah. Because you can start to ignore those urges and that can become, you know, kind of common. So then you have to train the, the child to start listening to their bladder or their bowels. There's got to be a happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants sense. to go and go to the bathroom when they've got three friends over yeah. or they're watching the yeah, TV show? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yes. 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 Very, very, very important when you have Princess Day. Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, for women in their 20s and 30s what do you say or if you can uh what is like one of the, some of the common features that you're seeing women in for so um after, definitely after pregnancy they'll come in either you know maybe some pain after intercourse um or just stress urinary incontinence those are the big ones for women after pregnancy um yeah and then some type of pelvic pain if they have chronic conditions, endometriosis, things like that, um, I'll, I'll treat them. So that's 20s to 30s, usually pregnancy-related urinary incontinence or 
or pain. Gotcha. These really big ones. Do you feel like there's a correlation between the mental health connection to the physical body there? Um, I mean, trauma can play a role into it. I, we've screened for that. And it's important to know, you know, you have control of every session with your physician, with your, ther- your physical therapist. You know, you have autonomy of your body. So if you're not feeling comfortable, you have every right to say stop. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of screening and the education there to let, let them know that they're in control. So that's part of it. Um, anxiety can, can play a role. Um, you know, if you think about if you're anxious or you're nervous and, and you're tightening your muscles in, you know, where are you tightening your muscles? Are you doing it in your pelvic floor? That can play a role into it too. But I would say... You know, sometimes I can't say every patient that has pelvic pain has anxiety, but sometimes there's a correlation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sweet. Well, I think that was I mean all that I really had off the top of my head there. But uh, you are not local. I live in Omaha. Yeah. Well, you so you're yeah you're you're, you're statewide, which is great. Yeah. So, um, do you mind sharing where women can find you? So I'm at CHI Bergen Mercy. Um, there's actually six pelvic health therapists in Omaha through the CHI system, but I know of four or five others in Omaha. In Lincoln, um, there's three. So you can go uh, to the American Physical Therapy Association um, uh, and find pelvic health therapists. There's registration. Uh, we register ourselves there as well. So it can be difficult to find us because we're far and few between. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, but I know there's some local in Lincoln and then more in Omaha. Is it predominantly female-based industry? It is predominantly female. I think more men are going into the male pelvic health side of things. Yeah, was, I was, that was another thing I guess I was going to ask. Because you had talked about, obviously, health services would include to be able to extend to men. So that would be more of just like a comfortability level or per se more because you have better perspective in that field. Um, I think it would be more the comfort level um, because if we're, I mean, a lot of the times we're internal. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the first few visits especially. So, you know, women might feel more comfortable with women because we might spend internal up to 15 to 20 minutes inside the vagina. So, you know, women might feel comfortable with women. I'm not saying that they don't feel comfortable with men, but... That was just a curiosity. Yeah. So what would be some reasons why, uh, obviously the same in terms of incontinence for men, mm-hmm. they have their own set of muscles that are... They I, still have pelvic floor yeah, muscles. Absolutely, yeah. yes. I, I, women are often surprised when I talk about the men have the ability to do Kegels. They know it. <laughs> <laughs> they may not have shared it, but they know it. Um, so what are some other reasons why men would probably seek out a pelvic health specialist? Uh, constipation, scrotal pain... Uh, pain with um, ejaculation, um, erectile dysfunction, um, groin pain, um, yeah, penile pain, rectal pain. Yeah. So pretty much all the same things, just yeah. outside that body. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, they still have the internal pelvic floor, but some mm. of the muscles go into the shaft of the penis as well. Which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, now that very enlightening and eye-opening. Uh, so the message to take home today is that your body is normal dysfunction is normal mm-hmm. um but like you could know it's common but not normal that's yeah. what we need to shift that perspective it's common so you should have absolutely no fear 
Um, and if you do, just to know that that's really just kind of like your vision and ideal message that you received about sex at some point from somebody or your body about somebody and that you can wipe that slate clean and just say, if I want to live a happy, healthy life, then I'll go see this doctor and figure out what I can do about that. So I hope uh, that for some people it'll empower them to re- do a little bit more research and come see you if you need to be <laughs> or find somebody local if they need to. Yeah. Um, but I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank you even more so, like I said, for reaching out to me. Um, anybody that we can connect more women with in this in this realm and more education and more awareness because you're, I mean, you're right. Very, very minuscule population, I think, at this point. So <laughs> we're yeah. trying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And hopefully, honestly, inspire some young ladies to go into, you know, the healthcare field and be that representation for women so that they, they have a place to go. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> little girls. All right. Okay. Well, um, one more time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I, you. Hopefully we can do it a potential follow-up sometime. If you're ever free, I'd love to have yeah. you back. Um, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in as well. If you found some value from this, which I'm sure you did, make sure to share it with your girlfriends, your mom, your grandma, your aunt, whoever you feel like would benefit from it. Uh, you can privately message to them. You don't have to put it on their Facebook page, but it'd be cool if you did. Uh, whatever works for you. You can follow me on the Good Girls Guide page on the Book of Face at any time. On Instagram, I'll be at Vote for Parties. You can find these additional podcasts through Google, through Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts as well. And if you are a feminine energy, energy at 18 years or older and you need a unique little place for intimacy, wellness, and needs, please make sure to reach out to me and we'll get you added over on Facebook as well. So uh, other than that, we're going to tune out for the weekend. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Uh, stay nice and warm. I think the weather's supposed to be interesting. We'll see for January, but we'll be back next week with another podcast and uh, that's about it. Have Thank a good day. You. Bye-bye. Thanks. Okay. Okay.